This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Vladimir Putin told a group of Russian mothers whose sons have died fighting in Ukraine that he shares their pain. Widows and mothers have been among the war's most vociferous critics in Russia. The carefully staged event was meant to show that the president understands their concern. Separately, the UN's nuclear watchdog said Ukraine's four nuclear power stations had been reconnected to the electricity grid after going offline on Wednesday. Israel's incoming prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, moved towards forming a government as his Likud party signed its first coalition deal with the far-right Jewish Power Party. Under the initial pact, which does not finalize the coalition, JP's leader, Itamar Ben-Gvir, will become police minister and join the country's security cabinet. The new government looks set to be the most right-wing in Israel's history. Iranian security officials fired at protesters in the southeastern province of Sistan, Baluchistan, after Friday prayers, leaving dozens of casualties, according to activists tracking the demonstrations. Meanwhile, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps deployed more soldiers to Kurdish regions in the north of the country. Iran's protests were sparked by the killing of a 22-year-old Kurdish woman in police custody on September 16th. This year's Black Friday, America's annual shopping bonanza, appeared to be a relatively subdued affair. The day after Thanksgiving is the busiest day of the year for the country's shops, but economic worries are prompting parsimony among consumers. Some forecasters predict that sales will be up by just 1% on last year, when retailers were still reeling from the pandemic. Peru's president, Pedro Castillo, accepted the resignation of Anibal Torres, his prime minister and ally, as a standoff with the country's Congress continues. Mr. Torres quit after failing to get a confidence vote off the ground. Opposition parliamentarians have twice impeached Mr. Castillo without removing him from power. The leftist leader must now appoint his fifth prime minister since taking office in July 2021. Regulators in China said that Tesla is recalling more than 80,000 vehicles in the country because of problems affecting their seatbelts and battery software. The affected vehicles were imported to China between 2013 to 2020, according to authorities. China is increasingly important to the American electric car manufacturer. Its revenues in the country doubled last year to nearly $14 billion. Football World Cup Pro and anti-government Iran fans clashed in the stands during the country's match against Wales. Iran went on to win with two late goals. Elsewhere, America's footballers maintained their unbeaten record against England at World Cups as the teams played out a turgid goalless draw, the fifth in the competition's first 20 matches. Senegal, African champions, easily beat Qatar, the hosts. And word of the week. Iskra, meaning spark, the name of the paper Vladimir Lenin once edited from London. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Taiwan's local elections. 
Taiwan goes to the polls on Saturday. Citizens will elect nine levels of local government, from city mayors to borough chiefs, and take part in a referendum on the minimum ages at which people may vote and run for office. Local election campaigns in Taiwan tend to focus on quotidian issues like public transport and healthcare. One topic that does not usually feature is China. Which regards Taiwan as a renegade province, but with China's increasingly belligerent rhetoric jangling Taiwanese nerves, this year some Democratic Progressive Party (DPP) candidates have publicly pledged that in the event of an invasion, they would defend the island and refuse to surrender. Such hawkish stances have helped the DPP win general elections against the pro-unification Nationalist Party in the past. For all that, on Saturday, most voters will be casting their votes on local governance issues. But the campaign may foreshadow Taiwan's 2024 presidential election, at which politicians' views on China will matter more than ever. Early voting opens in Georgia. On Saturday, voters in Georgia begin to return to the polls to pick a senator. Since neither Raphael Warnock, the Democratic incumbent, nor Herschel Walker, his Republican challenger, secured a majority at the midterms earlier this month, their race has gone to a runoff. Voting ends on December 6th. Republicans should have clinched the seat amid dissatisfaction with Democratic control of Congress in Washington. In the governor's race in Georgia, the Republican candidate Brian Kemp was re-elected by eight percentage points. That Mr. Walker, a former American football star, fell short reflects his awful campaign, marred by allegations that he paid for ex-girlfriend's abortions despite his avowed support for a ban on the procedure. Now, Mr. Walker hopes to win over some of the 200,000 people who voted for Mr. Kemp, but not for him. Donald Trump has steered clear of the state. That may help Mr. Walker's chances. The former president's wacky endorsees damaged Republicans in the midterms, but that also makes Georgia's runoff less critical than it otherwise would have been. Democrats have already retained the Senate. The art and activism of Nan Golden. All the beauty and the bloodshed profiles a master of candid photography who went on to confront the billionaires at the heart of the opioid crisis. In the 1980s, Nan Golden made her name with disarmingly intimate images of bohemian young outsiders like herself. A few years ago, she revealed her own near-fatal brush with oxycotton addiction and launched a protest against the Sackler family, who founded and owned Purdue Pharma, which made the drug. The documentary, which premiered in America on Wednesday, maintains a hushed intensity as Ms. Golden recounts her traumatic upbringing: a beloved sister's suicide, suburban parents in denial, foster homes. It is directed by Laura Poitras, who shows how Ms. Golden responded by pressing museums into removing the Sacklers' name from their nameplates. The film is a portrait of the artist as a lover and fighter, tough and tender, and hiding nothing. The pleasures of peanuts. Who is the greatest dog in fiction? Lassie, Rin Tin Tin, and Dorothy's Toto in The Wizard of Oz. All have their appeal, but the answer is surely Snoopy. His creator Charles Schultz, born 100 years ago on Saturday, translated his dour Minnesotan childhood into Peanuts, a cartoon strip in which children confront uncomfortable truths virtually free from adult intervention. Schultz reimagined his boyhood pet Spike, a playful mongrel, as a beagle, the loyal companion of the hapless Charlie Brown. Schultz's human characters, with their large heads and tiny torsos, look vulnerable. 
They muse bleakly about unrequited love and the elusive nature of happiness. But Snoopy is a sunny presence, the only Peanuts character allowed to give kisses. Besides inspiring many people to own a dog, Schultz's Snoopy encouraged other artists to imbue their own animal creations with psychological depth, and Schultz was paid more than Peanuts. By the time he died in 2000, Snoopy merchandise was netting him 30 to 40 million dollars a year. Weekend Profile Herve Grenard, Manager of the Saudi Football Team At the World Cup in Qatar, Saudi fans are outnumbered only by Americans and those of the hosts. Proximity to Qatar certainly helps, but no one should doubt the Saudis' passion for the game. Yet their national team had little to show for it on the sport's biggest stage until this week. On Tuesday, the Green Falcons, as they are known, shocked Argentina, among the pre-tournament favorites. King Salman gave workers the day off in celebration, just one sign of the commitment the country's rulers have shown to the sport. In 2021, the Saudi Public Investment Fund, chaired by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, bought Newcastle United, a team in England's Premier League. PIF money has also poured into Saudi Arabia's domestic league, which attracts tens of thousands of spectators. And Saudi officials are plotting an audacious bid to host the World Cup in 2030. For all that, the Saudis' most astute decision may prove to be the appointment, in 2019, of Erf Renard as manager of the national team. Against Argentina, commentators found his tactic of holding a high defensive line naive, but it proved overpowering on the pitch. Mr. Renard's inspirational pep talk at halftime, when Saudi Arabia was trailing, was also instrumental, according to one player. The victory felt like the culmination of Mr. Renard's own journey. In 1999, he began coaching SC Draguignan, a small team in the south of France, after his unremarkable playing career had been cut short by injury. To make ends meet, he worked as a cleaner between training sessions, something he later described as the, quote, best schooling he ever had. Other coaching stints in Asia and Africa followed. In 2012, he led unfancied Zambia to their first African Cup of Nations win. Three years later, he took the trophy again, this time with Ivory Coast. Mr. Renard's decision to take the Saudi job earned him plenty of criticism given the country's poor human rights record. He insists such matters have, quote, improved a lot, and that he accepted the role for sporting reasons, not the significant money on offer. On Saturday, his team faces Poland. A win could secure the Saudis' first place in the World Cup's knockout stages since 1994. Should they pull it off, that would strengthen Mr. Renard's claim that Saudi Arabia truly is a, quote, country of football. The winners of this week's quiz Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Perina Lamba, Mumbai, India. North America, Maureen Evans, Vernon, Canada. Central and South America, Jim Capeller, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Europe, Yerki Reina, Torrevieja, Spain. Africa, Killian Christ, Nairobi, Kenya. Oceania, Jim McMahon, Wellington, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of Hound, Cruel Intentions, Tasmanian Devil, Teddy Bear, and Burning Man. The theme is Elvis Presley songs. Hound Dog, Don't Be Cruel, Devil in Disguise, Let Me Be Your Teddy Bear, and Burning Love. 
Finally, here's the quote of the day from Jimi Hendrix. Blues is easy to play, but hard to feel. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.